0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. So, I have a, uh, I, I've been noticing something about our world, and our world is, seems to be having uh, a panic attack lately. Have you noticed this? The Yiddish for that is schwitzing. We schwitz. Uh, it means to sweat and freak out all at the same time, right? We're like this, right? Uh, and so, so I, I want to. I uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to take two minutes to talk about kind of the panic attack that we've been having. First, there's the political panic attack, right? We have an election coming up, and if you, if you are, uh, I'm a political atheist, so I'm probably not in your group, <laughs> which means that, like, I believe fundamentally that I'm a king i'm part of the kingdom of heaven and in the kingdom of heaven jesus is lord (coughs) over all truth right does that make sense so one of the things that's happening in our political discussions is that we've we've come to this place of great division and and anxiety about it all now we have someone in our church andy caldwell he's running for u.s congress i want to pray for him and we're going to pray for him, not based on what you believe politically, but because he is part of our church and he's under great duress and he loves Jesus and we need voices of people who love Jesus Amen. in every party and every position from, from the school board all the way to our federal government. Amen? second thing that's happening is that I don't know if you've heard, but there's this thing called coronavirus. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it's causing quite a stir. What, what the media has not told you is that um, the CDC in 2017 reported that on the low end there was 25,000 deaths in the United States from influenza, just the flu. Influenza is flu, okay, up to maybe 43,000 deaths, that happens every year, okay. Flu is normal, flu kills people. Um, But what is happening in this particular case is we have to be careful with this one. We have to be thoughtful about this one. Um, But and what the media has done with it and what our um, different countries have done with it is that um, they've gone full, they've hit the panic button over and over and over until our our dopamine and our thyroids have failed. Right? Does that make sense? Um, So we're in adrenal fatigue as a country of how much panic we're under. And so one of the things that happen in any, any uh, family or any country when the anxiety is high is because we want the anxiety to lower, we will find someone or something to blame. Does that make sense? So in the first service, right when I said this, my mic went kind of wacky and I blamed Matt, our sound guy, right? Right. <laughs> Why? Because he's an easy target. With all else fails, bl- yes, blame the sound guy, there it is, right? Perfect timing map, right? Uh, this is not helpful, why? Because this is not a blame issue. Very few things in life are a blame issue. When anxiety is high, you and I get to be the kind of people whose roots run deep into the foundation of Jesus, and Jesus is Lord over all and control over all, and He's really, really good. Amen? Amen? So when your friends are freaking out, you know what you get to say to them? It's okay. And they're going to say, how are you so calm? And you get to say, well, because my hope isn't in all of this. My hope is in Jesus, and He's with me every step of the way. I have a favorite phrase that April and I came up with um, as we've gone through our own journey and it's this, I've seen trouble and this ain't it. <laughs> so do we need to be wary of the flu and, then, uh, uh, and end our lives and huddle and hoard? No. Uh, do you need to wash your hands and be careful? Yes. You can go about living your life. Go to church. Go to see a movie. There's no one good out right now. but. You know when a good one comes out go see it right yeah so that's the idea okay so can we pray for our world under the siege of coronavirus and then also for our politics can we we do that oh lord jesus we pray for andy caldwell and his family right now may your kingdom come and your will be done in his life god we do pray for it. every level of our of our political establishment that you would have a larger voice in fact your voice would be the voice of reason and hope that people who would love you in every party and in every area would begin to work for the benefit of your kingdom and our people in this country we trust you with this jesus god we pray for all those suffering from the coronavirus right now lord across the world, in every country. Heal them, restore them. We pray for our scientists who are searching for a vaccine. Give them the ideas and the processes that they need to come up with that. We pray that our government um, and the media would become voices of reason. And that feels like asking the dead to come back to life, but you can do that too, Jesus. So we love you, Lord. We trust you. We put our hope and our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. In everything, every move that David makes today, we're in the series, ser- sermon series on King David. In every move that King David makes today, none of it makes sense. None of it. It all is crazy. And so, chapter 8 and 2 Samuel. Um, is one in which Samuel wins, or in which uh, David wins battles. Chapter 10 in Second Samuel as David wins more battles. And then chapter 9 is this really odd chapter right in the middle. Um, it has nothing to do with the battle. It, it, it's David giving mercy and love to someone who is just utterly forgotten. And, and this is a, a really amazing chapter. And again, none of what David does makes sense. Are you ready yes. Yes. for for shocking, amazing, incredible stories? Right from Second Samuel. I hope you are. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one. Let's read. <coughs> to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone? still left in the house of Saul. Literally, David, it's been 15 years since Saul's died on the battle. Remember that 15 years ago when Saul and Jonathan both died on the plains before Mount Gilboa? Remember that? That was five weeks ago. You might not. It's okay. So David, it's been 15 years and David's saying, is there anybody still alive? Like he literally does not know. And then what does he want to do? He wants to show kindness. That word is the Hebrew word Chesed. And you got to do the roll in the back of your throat. Are you ready? Say chesed. Chesed. Yeah, there you go. Chesed. (coughs) 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 Chesed. Right? Yeah. It means faithful, loving kindness. Uh, It's the idea of grace and mercy and love and faithfulness all stacked in a sandwich to nourish your soul. And so. David at that moment asks a really odd question. Is there anybody from the Obama administration that I can be nice to (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, that's what every administration feels, right? So this doesn't make any sense. Verse 2. Now, next slide. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. When you say Ziba, put a little zing on the Z. Are you ready? Here it is. Ziva. They summoned him to appear before David. So they just brought in Rahm Emanuel, the former chief of staff, now mayor of Chicago, in before the king. This is the equivalent. Okay. You bring a former official in from the previous administration into the king. How's that going to go? Probably not well. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you... Ziba, at your service, he replied, which, you know, that's, of course, what you would say because you don't want to make the king mad. Um, This is like the IRS calling you, right? If the IRS calls you, it's not because they want to help you with your budget. (laughs) It's not because they want to give you money. When the government agency calls you and summons you like here's the warrant, come here now. It's because you're in trouble. So Ziba arrives schwitzing. <laughs> Verse three, read with me. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now, do you remember that scene when the three kings arrived to tell Herod that a new king would be born? And what did Herod do? He said, This is 1,200 years later. He goes, oh, yes, um, show me where this new king will be so that I can uh, worship him. A.K.A. worship means slaughter, right? (laughs) So like any time you're asking, do you know of any potential heirs that are a threat to my throne? And you've just brought in the former chief of staff of the administration previous, saying, do you know where anybody is? Ziba has to think, anybody that I say right now, their life is over. Make sense? So Ziba answers truthfully, but at the same time, he answers in a brilliant diplomatic way. He says, there's still a son of Jonathan, your best friend. Remember how much you loved him? Oh, and by the way, this guy, like I don't even know his name anymore, so I won't mention it to you, but he's lame in both feet. So he, like he's not a warrior, right? Like he's like, no, he's no threat, right? So just kind of leave him alone. So who's this kid that's no threat? Well, his name is Shef. So let's pronounce this impossible name together, right, Mafib Mephibosheth, say it with me. Mephibosheth, not Meshibopheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, or Memphis, you know, I have no idea if that's where Memphis comes from, but I'm, we're just going to go with it. So why is Mephibosheth crippled? Well, he was dropped. It's a horrible scene. So next slide to me. So here is on, the, there's a Sea of Galilee in Israel, south is Jerusalem. The river is the Jordan River. In the red dot there, that's this place called Gilboa. And you can see the gray, the the green is mountainous areas, the gray is a valley. That's the floodplain of the River Jordan. And so what happened is that at the Mount of Gilboa, King Saul did something foolish. He decided that he would take his guys in their Humvees out against the Philistines in their M1 Abram tanks. Chariots armored vehicles. What happens when you do tanks versus Humvees? Tanks win every time and that's exactly what happened. The Philistines wiped the floor with the Israelites destroyed the entire army killed Saul and Jonathan and then of course Jonathan they're living in this area and So the Philistines just keep on going. Let's let's raid their 401ks. Let's take their gold. Let's take their stuff Let's have our people move in and Jonathan's family is running for their lives and this young girl, teenager, babysitter of little five-year-old Mephibosheth trips and drops him and he falls a great distance and he shatters both his legs and his ankles and he'll never walk again. So Mephibosheth is crippled. And Ziba hopes that David will let it be, but this is how the king responds. So where is he? Now Ziba has a choice to make. Do I sacrifice my family because I'm going to die and my family's going to die if I lie to the king? Or do I send this poor kid to certain death? And Ziba told the truth. He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. You've been to Low Debar, right? <laughs> you might know it as Low Debar, right? Baby, I'm gonna be late. I'm at where am I? Low low debar. Is that what you call this debar? Low debar? I'm low in the bar. I don't know. Right? So where is low debar? Next slide. Lodabar is right across the plain from Gilboa on the other side of the River Jordan. And it is in, the, it, it's like driving on the 166. <coughs> so the, uh, the eastern side of the Jordan River is like, it's like literally driving from here through Kuyama uh, into Maricopa. You ever been to Maricopa? That horrible subway in the middle of that tiny little gas station. Don't ever eat there. It's <laughs> bad. The hot dog has been rolling on that thing for like three years. It's awful, <laughs> right? So when you're driving on the 166 towards Bakersfield, right, you're, you're, you're wondering, Where, am I on the moon? Where am I? That's what it looks like in Lo Debar. Now Lo Debar is a Hebrew word. Lo means not or, n- or, or no. Like it's a negative and Dabar means just a thing. So literally no debar means nothing. <laughs> Nowhere. So where did Mephibosheth flee to? Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> Low debar is a place it is so remote and uninhabited and it's such a no place that no bodies go live in that no place because they don't want nobody to find them. (laughs) Does that make sense? It's this miracle of anonymity, right? So it's the place that King, you didn't want to be found, that's where you'd go. So verse 5, so King David had him brought from nowhere. King David sent people to nowhere to get Mephibosheth and bring him back from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. He's not living with his family, he's not living with his aunts and uncles, he's not living with his second cousins or his first cousins, he's living with strangers, This kid in his 20s, can't walk, his legs and ankles are all busted up and broken, and he's taken from nowhere and now he's going to be dragged back into the public spotlight. How would you feel? It's sort of like that recurring dream. Did you have this dream when you were in junior high of you wake up or you're in your dream and you're at junior high and you have no pants on and your shirt can't, like your your t-shirt can't go low enough? Did you have that dream? I had it until like my 30s, right, where it's like if you pull down the front and the back comes up and then you're like, oh no, and like you're doing this. Like once a week, I was struggling with this white T-shirt that was way too short in junior high. Awful. So here's this kid, this kid, Mephibosheth, this 20-year-old kid who can't walk, once a royal, now a no-one, living in nowhere. He once had a future, and now he lives a curse. He once had a family, and now he's completely orphaned. Have you ever felt that way? Like that, like there was places in your life of great potential and promise, and now they've been lost. Have you ever felt that way? Like you can't seem to find a way back to that hope you once had or that body that you once had or that mindset that you, or the joy that you once had. You feel like the decisions that you've made and the things that's been done to you, it's like, knocked your life off course, and now you're stuck in low debar at somebody else's house, and you have no idea. And the last thing that you want is anybody that knows you to find you. Have you ever felt like that? But well, that's how Mephibosheth, I mean, that's his entire life. So, verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, When he came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Now, picture you're sitting in the court and here comes the doors open. Here's this 20-year-old kid and he's on crutches somehow getting up to David and then he's got a bow. How's that going to work out for him? The whole court in silence watches this kid with broken legs and ankles bow before the king. I mean, when Ziba came in, did it say that Ziba bowed? No, Ziba just said, at your service, whatever, right? I'm loyal to the previous administration, not you. But Mephibosheth, he bows before the king. And David is so moved by this. Next slide. He says, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth says, At your service. Like here, he's bowing before the king that is most likely going to kill him. And instead of demanding or asking, he says, I surrender. I'm yours. And David rewards this loyalty in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. Read with me, verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And none of this makes sense. None of it makes sense. Absolutely zero sense whatsoever. First of all, in a culture where you would get rid of a kid with a disability or a problem like like Mephibosheth, to actually say Mephibosheth's name is unbelievable. Like to, to this day, I remember going to Haiti six years ago. Haiti, they don't have the ability to take care of kids with disabilities, so they literally walk their children into the ocean and let them go. Europe, they just kill their kids with disabilities children with down syndrome or pediatric strokes are aborted at 93% in Europe we do it at 70% in this country this is what we do with kids who have disabilities is we want them to go away and as a parent with a child who has disabilities I am so incredibly stunned that David would say Mephibosheth's name in public that's the first thing that he does the second thing that he does is that he removes Mephibosheth's shame. Every single time this kid's family is mentioned, he feels awful. Why? Because his granddad wrecked his life. Instead of his granddad like actually believing in God, which is what he was supposed to do, his granddad followed idols and then got, him, got himself killed and his dad killed and on one day, Mephibosheth's life was absolutely destroyed. Tuesday was fine. Wednesday, his grandfather dies. His dad dies. He's crippled for life. Somebody else is laid king and he's moved to a strange family to a place called nowhere. That's a bad day. And for the first time in Mephibosheth's life, his family is not a source of shame. He actually hears from the king, listen, I want to honor you because of your family. You ever get embarrassed by your family? Would you want to have your family reunion here at church on a Sunday morning? <laughs> no, no. Would you want your, like, do you look forward to large gatherings of with your family? Right. I, I mean, this is how we feel about our families sometimes. It's like these people are straight crazy. Like they're nuts. I don't want them around. But David restores that from Mephibosheth. Third, David gives little Memphis all the land his grandfather once owned, which is hundreds and thousands and thousands of acres of land. And in an instant, Mephibosheth is now a multi-millionaire. Can you imagine? You're going to Washington DC, pretty sure the CIA is going to snuff you out and you show up to the meeting and what do they do? By the way, we researched your family inch and heritage and you now owned Oregon. (laughs) So it's yours, (laughs) what? Like multi-millionaire, but then what is Mephibosheth going to think? All this land, now he gets to farm it and what does he initially think? How am I going to farm this land? And David even takes care of that, fourth thing, oh, by the way, until you, oh, go back once, until you get it all sorted out, chef, m-fib, until you get it all sorted out, you will always eat at my table. See, I'm going to feed you until the land can bear your own fruit, and and by the way, You're going to be seated next to me royalty. You're not going to be no one living in nowhere ashamed and crushed. Now everyone will speak your name and you will be considered as one of my sons. This makes no sense. Verse 8, read with me, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant, that you should notice a dead dog like me?" Ah, man. Can you relate? I think you can. Like God says, oh, I love you. I adore you. I forgive you. You're mine. Ephesians 2, right? I'm going to have mercy on you, and then I'm going to seat you right next to me from now until all eternity to bless you, to shower my gifts upon you, and what do we think? I'm I'm a dead dog, like, I don't deserve this, I'm not, like, I failed, I'm less than human, like, I don't, I don't, like, I'm good for tasks and to be kicked, not, like, don't treat me like a prince or a princess, I don't even have a category for that in my mind. I mean, all of us can relate with this, like, we have areas of our life, like, since we feel like we've messed up or we've been so hurt, that there's a part of us that is absolutely irredeemable. And 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 statistics proves this. The Barna Institute, a research institute down in Southern California, did a national poll, 10,000 plus people said Christians, do you believe that God forgives? 99% of Christians said, yep. Do you believe that God is merciful, kind? Absolutely. I mean, down the line, He forgives, He's good, He's he's got a plan, He loves you, He cares for you. Last question, do you believe that all this applies to you? And 83% of Christians in America said this. Well, mostly, but there's some things that have happened to me. There's some some things that I've done. There's just some choices that I continue to make where I don't think, I still think God's mad at me or angry with me or frustrated with me. And this is such a lie from the pit of hell, but it makes perfect sense. You know why? Because when you're in pain and your anxiety is high, what do we do? We look for someone to... Blame. When you're in pain and your anxiety is high because you want something to change in your life, the first thing that you'll do is you'll look for someone to blame. And guess what? You live with yourself more than you live with anyone else. It's just a fact. And by probabilistic standards, you will find something in your life that you go... Well, this is why this keeps on happening and you might be partially right. You could actually say, you know what, I keep on dropping the end on my foot. My foot keeps on breaking. So you could, you could make some good deductive reasoning skills there, but you'll also won't stop there. You'll also say, you know what, there must be something about me that's irredeemable or unlovable or absolutely broken that cannot be transformed. Can you relate? That's how Mephibosheth felt about his entire life. Now, how does King David respond? Here's this poor kid, prostrate before him, ankles, legs shattered, uh, and he's just told the king that he's a dead dog after the king has poured out all this blessing on him. And what does David do? How does he respond? He says this, Then the king summoned Ziba. So the king does nothing. I'm a dead dog. David says, somebody get me Ziba, which means Ziba's not there, which means they have to wait. And the next sentence is the king is talking to Ziba, not Mephibosheth. The king doesn't even address Mephibosheth. Do you know what this means? This is the most awkward silence ever. I'm a dead dog. Nothing? Like you're not going to say anything? No, I'm just waiting for Zeba. Hold on. That's funny. Why aren't you laughing? Come on, y'all. <laughs> That's pretty good. So this is what happens. Zeba shows up. Zebra shows up. Well, let me make a point on that one. By the way, if you keep on interacting with God from a sense of your own shame or self-hatred, God is not going to have a conversation with your shame. If you keep on talking to God out of fear, God is not going to have a conversation with your fear because that's not you. You are no longer a slave to fear. Your shame is not who you are in your identity. You are a worthy, beloved, beautiful, chosen, forgiven, child of the king. And he's going to talk to you, not the thing that's bound up in your heart. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's chief of staff, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson, I love this, even David recognizes that Zeba is not loyal to him but loyal to Saul. I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Now, for ten, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. What? And bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be filthy rich. This makes no sense. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master will always eat at my table. And by the way, now we know what Ziba did when he was unemployed. (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. No president rewards their political enemies. No president takes a potential heir, a threat to their own throne, brings them in and blesses them like crazy, then finds the chief of staff from the previous administration, that guy who hates your guts and is still loyal to the dead king, and then makes him a multi-millionaire as well. This makes no sense. The the mercy and love of King David here is unmatched in the annals of political history. This is the only instance in all of ancient Near Eastern history where a monarch is kind to someone who's disabled. There's no other record of it. This is the only hit moment in the annals of ancient Near Eastern history where a monarch is kind to his political enemy. It does not happen except here. Then Ziba Next slide, verse 11, read with me. Then Ziba said to the king, whoa, whoa, oh, oh, what happened? He changed, that's exactly right. He walked across the aisle and said, I'm I'm done, I'm now, I'm not going to be, I'm done. Right? He changed parties. Your servant will do whatever my lord the king, oh my lord not the past king, my lord you the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You see loyalty is not won by fear or even your self-interest. Loyalty is only won by love. If you want to change your family right now, it won't be to berate them, it won't be by injecting fear into their lives, it won't be by rising their anxiety, it will be by loving them. That's how you change people, by loving them. In Elmer Ben Diner's book, The Fall of the Fortresses, Ben Diner was an award-winning New York Times um, journalist, Jewish guy flew B-17 bombers during World War II, and he wrote a book of when they were on, in 1945, they were bar- bombing the heartland of industrial Germany a ball bearing factory, and uh, Ben Diner writes this, our B-17, here they are, these are B-17s, our B-17 was barraged by flak from non- Nazi anti-aircraft guns. This was not unusual, but on this particular occasion, our gas tanks were hit. Now they were hit with the size of the caliber of bullet that comes from these uh, M109 measurements. Uh, they didn't have any kind of support flac- or planes around them. Later as I reflected on the miracle of a 20 millimeter shell piercing the fuel tank without touching off an explosion, our pilot John Fox told me that it was not quite that simple. On the morning following the raid so that they returned home safely, John Fox, now here is a picture of Ben Diner's crew John Fox is top right he's wearing the white parachute he's the captain Ben Diner is three guys to the left there uh, just second to the right or second to the left um, uh, top row that's Elmer Ben Diner and Ben Diner said that on the morning following the raid when John Fox had come home um, he wanted to find the 20 millimeter shell that had pierced their gas tank Now on the right is a 50 caliber um, shell, right? That's a long range sniper rifle. That's an automatic machine gun on top of a Humvee or a tank. On the left is a 20 millimeter shell, okay? And he wanted to find the tip of that as a souvenir. And so he went to the crew chief um, and the crew chief said, John you're not going to believe this there wasn't one shell there was 11 shells in your rattling around in your gas tank and John's like more souvenirs can I have them and he said no I sent them to the armor to defuse them because they're unexploded ordnance right because each one of these 20 millimeter shells is packed with explosives and when the tip hits the explosive it breaks up and that entire Uh, magnesium top to it explodes and lights on fire and you die, right? So they go to the armor and the armor says, we don't have them. Um, We looked inside, they were absolutely clean as a whistle, there was no explosive material inside the shell, but there was something written on a paper. We've sent the whole thing to intelligence and each one of these 11 shells. There was pieces of paper written in the shells and so they went to Army Intelligence. The Army Intelligence said, um, well, we have the pieces of paper here, but do you know anybody who speaks Czech? Um, and John Fox said, "Why? Well, I think there's a guy in B Squadron. So he goes over to B Squadron, finds a guy who bring, speaks Czech and comes down. And later Elmer Bendiner would realize this as a fellow Jew, there were Jews in, living in the Czech Republic that were incarcerated into concentration camps by the Nazi regime and they were forced to make airplane parts and radios and munitions for the war effort in the Czech Republic and when they finally found the guy who spoke Czech he read the strip of paper and it said this this is all we can do for you now you see The flight crew of Elmer's Ben Diner's B-17 Bomber was saved because of an act of mercy and love from Jewish prisoners who would be killed if they were discovered to not put in the explosive in those 20 millimeter shells. And King David's mercy and love saved Mephibosheth. And in that moment, when Ziba looked at King David and went, wait a minute, not only are you being kind to this kid whom I love, who's heir to the throne, but now there's no reason that you would, that that kindness and mercy and love would also extend to me and my families. like, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make any sense. See, see mercy and love transformed the life of Mephibosheth and Ziba and his 15 children and their wives and the servants and the servants' wives and the grandchildren and generations were changed by one act of mercy and love, but the dividends don't stop there. Ready? Verse 12. Read with me. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. Wow. This forgotten kid who felt worthless and dead and not even like a human being, never left Jerusalem because here was his adoptive father, the king, who showered love on him and cared for him. Does that sound familiar? It's because Mephibosheth's story is your story. It's my story. See before you met the king of kings, you were destined for greatness but hamstrung by failure. You were born to royalty and yet you found yourself living as a refuge. Wounded and lost, you became your own worst prosecutor. Living with yourself, you found ways to ever increase the demands of perfection and and worthiness in your own life. And when you failed to do those, it always led to your condemnation until the King of Kings found you. Lost in the middle of nowhere and low to bar. And what did he do? He grabbed you and he rescued you and he brought you into his presence. And what did he say? You don't have to earn your inheritance, sweetheart. I'm going to give it to you. And instead of forcing you to work for everything, he showered his love and his grace and his mercy on your life. And you've been forgiven and you've been made a multi millionaire. You won the cosmic lottery, y'all. You get heaven now and all for all eternity. What? You don't deserve it! You're on the wrong political party. You were once an enemy, you were once lost, but not anymore. Now you've been graciously included into God's family and you sit right next to the King of Kings for him to lavish his love upon you in this life and in the life to come. Amen. amen. (laughs) You know what his boy's name means? Micah in Hebrew means this I'm no longer afraid because that's what Mephibosheth learned like when you get to sit next to the king you don't have to be afraid anymore like you could start living free you could start building a life brothers and sisters you sit next to the king of kings right now. You know what Mephibosheth's name in Hebrew means? It means the exterminator of shame. How freaking sweet is that? <laughs> the exterminator of shame, the end of idols. And here, Ms, Ms, here in Memphis' life, his grandfather had followed idols and wrecked for him and all of the weight of that shame fell on his shoulders and he was crushed by it and then he met the king of kings and once he met the king of kings all his shame dissolved Amen. and that's you right now it's you right now see the king of kings he didn't just like call you by name and save you to and just kind of be generous with you. The King of Kings, your King of Kings, King Jesus, he died in your place and he defeated sin and death itself. That's how much he loves you. So I wonder if you could be King David this week. Who do you need to have mercy on? Who do you need to love? They're not going to deserve it. Broken people break things. Who could you be nice to at school and class and your own family? Like, you, you, like you, could, you could try and shoot them down with something that would explode in their life or you could send a note of encouragement. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, Andy. but. You don't know who I live with, <laughs> Like they're really tough. Like they make mistakes all the time and they're a real pain. And I got to tell you, that's exactly how Jesus feels about you. Because <laughs> you're tough to live with and you make mistakes all this time and you can be a real pain. So let me, let, let me offer you something here. Whatever tool that you use to treat other people in your life is the same tool that you will use to treat yourself. And you've been shot full of holes. You don't need any more condemnation in your life. What you need is love and mercy, because that's what changes hearts. And so right now, you could receive the love of mercy of Jesus so that you can give that same love and mercy away. Would you like to? Would you like to? Oh Lord Jesus, we now receive your love and mercy. Do me a favor, sit up and put your hands on your, on your legs, open up your palms if you want to do this. You don't have to, but if you'd like to, you just sit up and be in a posture of, something, of receiving something and you can repeat after me, Lord Jesus. I receive your love. I receive your, love. I, receive your mercy. I receive your mercy. Take a breath, Holy Spirit. We do. We receive your love and mercy because um, we we we're lost. We just we feel like we're dead and less than human. Apart from it, so we're home right now. We're home because you're with us. We're seated by your side. We're so grateful that you want us. We receive your love and mercy. Jesus, we have really challenging situations that we're facing. And it's not like you're a mystery to that, like you've been with us, you know. But we need wisdom and whimsy about how to love people well in our life. We need wisdom and whimsy about how to not freak out how to be kind to those that we disagree with, to how to hold on to the truth and hold on to you and hold on to love and mercy all at the same time. We cannot do this except with you. So Holy Spirit, do something new in us today. Renew us, restore us, speak to us. Help us to listen and obey your voice this week. And I pray especially for my friends here That the person that they need to have love and mercy on the most is themselves. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you bless them and protect them. And we pray against all the enemy's plans to discourage them and rob everything that we've sung and heard today that's from you. And all God's precious people said, would you stand for the benediction?